0: Which then means that we have to do this one, record it, submit it, and then unpublish the other one. Otherwise, we're just going to, it's kind of annoying. But that means we have a very limited time window for this. So what I wanted to park here is that I have to get through chapter 10 of Mario Livio's book to determine if this is a viable book for the five book club. Hmm. Well, this one this one is about the law of conservation of energy, which really means that momentum or energy stored in whatever system cannot be um, created or reduced, if you will, and that it is equivalent to something else, which I, I didn't understand. Um, it's kind of like an opposing force to that momentum or an equivalent force that part not clear on.
1: Okay, so stepping out of the creative since it's uh, still Tuesday, and I suppose we should talk about ESG. We haven't talked about that in a while. Well, you see, when people asked me in the past what I defined ESG to be was, uh, well, I would respond that it's, it's really uh, an accounting, an accountability mechanism for distilling the right type of data and information to inform a company's extra financial performance as it relates to its impact on the business or the impact of the business meaning externalities right and finding that data in a bunch of potentially nonsensical data is no easy task so therefore you must ask the questions and materiality and perform a rigorous analysis based on econometric data, but also on different scenarios that may impact the business, be it climate scenarios, geopolitical scenarios, um, uh, structural change scenarios, and all of that kind of stuff. To then, still so well, is, is my climate exposure significant enough that I must disclose it to investors because they will need to know that. As they determine whether to invest in my business because I am exposed to so much risk uh, from a climate change perspective um, that it might really affect my operations, for example, right? Or am I generating so many emissions in my scope one, two, and supply chain that I am at risk of being uh, villainized by the current surroundings? And I wish to take a responsibility to play a role in arriving to a, a solutioning that reduces my emissions, so that I can be a good corporate citizen, so to speak. Okay. Those are the types of questions that uh, that might, must be asked. But then, you know, when you start to step into the S categories and talk about talent strategies and safety uh, measures for your employees, health and safety, wellness programs. That's that's something else Uh, in the diversity inclusivity space (laughs) inclusivity that's funny Um, inclusivity space. Then we're starting to look at things like you know percentage of the population employed that are from unrepresented groups or that represent the communities that you serve, and that looks at uh, demographic diversity, but also cognitive diversity. And um, and that's stuff that you can you can do, you know, if you believe that's the right thing to do, if your investors care. Um, but, you know, the standards are not exactly universal there because culture and where you're doing business and the cultural norms of that place um, also impact how you're going to ultimately recruit and, and all that kind of stuff, right? It's not in every country that um, having a, a female negotiator or a salesperson is going to work most favorably and i could think of a few cultures where that's the case and we've had that actually in dealing with some of our clients uh where we had to step back and say well you know uh, demographic diversity makes sense for this part of your business however in other parts of your business the culture of those places where you operate is simply not there yet uh doesn't mean that you can't strive but you also have to be cognizant of the reality now, when it comes to governance practices, oftentimes we talk about ethics and security and you know ethical business practices, cybersecurity practices, risk management frameworks, things like that. Um, also, board and executive leadership education, things of that nature are, are all fine and dandy. But where I really, really struggled with the DSG kind of um, rhetoric is that, oh, we can really create regulatory measures and standard sets of metrics that everybody can get behind. Well, that, again, I repeat myself a lot uh, just to, to be able to sense whether I'm still making sense, right? So if I listen to myself and it makes sense, there's a good chance that it might actually make sense to someone else as opposed to me repeating somebody else's rhetoric just because I heard it, uh, but can't really back it up from my own experience. So in that context of regulatory frameworks, and let's land on what is it that we really all need to report and decide. Well, that simply isn't going to work. As as Ron once said, it you know on the environmental side, GHG emissions and climate exposure is probably the most scientific <laughs> um, area, right, where we can start to um, to look at uh, at impact and uh, mitigation and adaptation strategies. However, on the social side of things and on the governance, it becomes a little bit more nebulous. However, while it is more nebulous, if somebody were to ask me now, <laughs> what is ESG? I would say it's a methodology for asking yourself as a business or a legal entity, what really, really matters? What, has the, the, what do I have the potential to impact not only from a financial perspective but from an environmental, social, economic perspective and from an ethics standpoint in my world and what has the risk of impacting me in a negative way as well as what can positively impact my future streams of business. So what are the trends? What are are the people and the customers that I'm serving really after? What questions are they asking and am I capturing them? As well as what are the regulatory standards that are emerging that I will most likely have to comply with, if not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe in five years, so I don't have to redesign everything I've done. If I've done it well, the chances are that I won't have to do that because as part of my stakeholder groups, I'm going to have regulatory bodies right, and standards in my analysis. But all of this to say that my definition of ESG has pivoted somewhat from being a framework for data analysis and aggregation to a framework for dialogue and asking ourselves the difficult questions to arrive at a coherent business model that embeds purpose, strategy, and culture, right? At at the forefront, because from that, from that emerges what is it that we're actually doing why must we exist not just today but in the future and how does that then inform how we shall make decisions uh, according to our shared belief system or or again these uh, these shared uh, shared values that the company espouses not just in our in our paperwork or in our reports um, sustainability reports or marketing or whatever right but um but really, from the core and the foundation of the business, you know, if we are to set a legacy, not just for the past, but also for the future, what should that look like? And how is it informed? That's not something that comes from the metrics, that comes from the heart and soul. So you must, I suppose, believe that the company does have a heart and soul, <laughs> if that is to hold. Um, now, here's the thing. If you don't, then don't bother saying things like, Yes. We all believe, as CEOs of the Roundtable, that we must uh, have a purpose as a business. Just, just don't do it. Be honest. Our purpose is to make money, regardless. No matter what happens around us, we're always going to prioritize um, short-term profits because that's the way that we have uh, been incentivized to do so. And until somebody asks us differently, that's exactly what we will do. I mean, it's not probably what I would like to hear. From my clients or from the customers um, that are served by other client by other advisories right um, but it certainly is honest so ESG is a way to integrate your your true nature as a business into your operation Strategy meets operations. It sounds simple, but it's hard. Oh, sure. On um, on the social side or governance, however you want to look at it, the governance is really how you look, how you document, how you capture all of this, and how you escalate the issues and the risks appropriately to the to the right folks in the organization to do something about it. And then people know what that process looks like. That's, that's governance, right? It's kind of like governance of how to run a, a company in your articles of incorporation. It's it's kind of that for some things that have now surfaced with the evolution of knowledge that are material and should be baked into how ultimately people are informed about your, your, your business once it reaches, reaches a certain point in, in time in terms of size and all of that, right? Because at that point, it is generating a, a significant uh, impact, whether positive and or negative, that uh, it just comes under it comes under the microscope a little bit. But on the supply chain side, or on the social side of that, what really comes to mind for some of these big, big companies, particularly those in the in the clean space, right? So if a company is is essentially putting up. Uh, wind turbines or solar you know, manufacturing solar panels then the questions to be asked are, are you know, yes emissions in my supply chain but at the end of the day what they're doing is uh, ensuring the avoidance of emissions the same as, as tesla right so their biggest impact is removing ice cars from from the world world and uh, replacing them with evs which are of course every mile driven saves a, a mile Equivalent of uh, of GHG emissions, right, generated by another vehicle, whether it's it's petrol or diesel or whatever. <clears throat> however, however, in the generation of this new climate-friendly product, yes, there are going to be emissions um, generated from the manufacturing process, from the bringing in of, of different parts and components, um, certainly from the mining. Of, of minerals and then you start to get into well what about the the practices in assembly and manufacturing where are we putting these things together and in those countries are the laws similar to what they are in the u.s or canada or other places where we have um you know a fairly high standard for for human rights because that may not be the case in those other countries so now the company to what standard is it held is it held to the standard that we have in the u.s and canada or is it held to the, the standards held in China? And does that mean that the company shouldn't manufacture in China because it has limited span of control over its HR practices in those regions? So it does get very, very, very complex, right? which is why just looking at metrics isn't going to do you any good um, as an analyst or investor. And it's in a way unfair to put it on our you know, CFAs and CPAs to understand these these human issues and culture and politics and history and as a result why i continue (laughs) to to encourage people to get educated about how people tend to behave in different parts of the world and based on what factors so that they can answer intelligently when probed. you know why did you choose to do this knowing that it might negatively impact your esg social score for example right. so i'm gonna leave it there for now